Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Welcome. No need to hijack planes. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Yes, we in America have put out the welcome mat for terrorists, and I'm going to be talking with you today about two new ways that they have been taking advantage of this. The first way a plot that has been foiled, fortunately, is the plot to assassinate former President George Bush. This is a rather complicated plot. I will make it simple. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it, it, it seems like the plot of a movie, not a terrorist plot. But um, it's pretty fascinating, and I will explain it to you. The second is an ongoing problem. A, an issue that is just a, a disaster waiting to happen. And that is the problem of the Afghans who have been brought to America from Afghanistan. Now, um, I've mentioned this in a couple of previous podcasts, but I'm going to sort of update you with um, the beginnings of the disaster that is happening. And I just up front, I will say that... Uh, um, I know that there were some Afghans who deserve to come to the United States who are not terrorists um, and who helped American troops. But those are not the ones that I'm talking about. All right, let's go to uh, George Bush, the almost assassination. Just recently, there was an a man named Shihab Ahmed Shihab Shihab. He was just uh, arrested, and um, he is an Iraqi national. Uh, he was living in Columbus, Ohio, and um, the FBI terrorism uh, task force agents, after a year-long investigation, just arrested him. So basically, uh, Shihab... Um, who's 52 years old, was uh, didn't realize for this year that he was under um, surveillance by the FBI. And so he confided in them, uh, little by little, what his plans were about um, assassinating George Bush. So now he, um, Shihab has lived in Columbus, Ohio, and in the Indianapolis since he arrived in the United States in 2020. Now, his plan had to do with smuggling operatives, smuggling operatives affiliated with ISIS into America to murder the president. Now, he has already been um, smuggling people into America, and that is how he is making his money. And so um, 
you know, that was his original plan to uh, to support himself by by smuggling um, Iraqis. And then he um, heightened the plan. You know, why not um, kill President Bush while I'm at it? And I will explain why. Now, he came into the, the U.S. on a visitor visa. And in March 2021, he filed a claim for asylum which was being reviewed. I don't think, I don't think he's going to be accepted after this. Um, He was charged. So they arrested him and they charged him and he went to court. He's charged with two felonies, assisting an alien entering the United States for financial gain and aiding and abetting the attempted murder of Bush. Um, So now the FBI had two confidential informants. That's how they, tracked him as well as by the internet. Um, these informants communicated with Shihab since April 2021. And he told them that he wanted to smuggle up to six Iraqi nationals through the Mexican border in exchange for tens of thousands of dollars per person. Um, then he um told them that he wanted to kill Bush. And um he told the the um informants that he wanted to kill Bush. And he started asking them questions, you know, to give him information about how he could do that. So he asked about the security at Bush's Dallas home and his Texas ranch. Now the confidential source one, he told him that they wanted to kill Bush because they thought that he was responsible for killing many Iraqis and breaking apart the entire country of Iraq. This is what the court documents say. Um, In later discussions, he told the informants that, quote, he wanted to be involved in the actual attack. He wanted to be involved in the actual attack and assassination of former President Bush and did not care if he died as he would be proud to have been involved in killing former President Bush, unquote. So a martyr. And, you know, a martyr with a big target. Um, He did actually travel to Dallas uh, in the company of one of the informants, because he told this informant uh, sort of at the last minute that he had car trouble. And so the informant um, managed to, to drive him or to give him money to rent a car or whatever, they went together to Dallas, and um, they went to Bush's neighborhood and the George W. Bush Institute. And he, Shihab, uh, took cell phone videos of both of these places. Now, he also, later on in March, uh, after he went to Dallas, he then met with an informant who gave Shihab samples of firearms. He gave him an M16 rifle. And he gave him a U.S. Uh, Border Patrol uniform. And this was all part of the plot to smuggle in um, Iraqis who would, you know, take revenge on Bush. Um, let's see. So now, the, of course, his, his defense is going to be entrapment because the FBI provided the firearms inert, you know, the firearms wouldn't have worked, but he didn't know that. 
And then, um, and yes, and then as I was saying, one of the informants financed his travel to Dallas uh, after he said he had car trouble. You know, it seemed like maybe he was hesitating at that point, and so the FBI helped by getting him to Dallas. Um, okay, now, what else? Now, he, this is his, in terms of his smuggling plan, he planned on getting uh, Mexican visitor visas for the ISIS operatives. And he claimed that he had already smuggled two people associated with Hezbollah, which is also, of course, as you know, a terrorist organization. And he smuggled these two people from Hezbollah into the U.S. for $50,000. The FBI uh, said that it, you know, found out about him through these confidential informants. And um, these were two different sources. Um, One of them claimed to have offered assistance to uh, Shihab to obtain um, false immigration and identification documents. The second confidential source uh, claimed to be a customer of the smuggler, the people smuggler, and he was willing to pay thousands of dollars to bring his family into the country. That's how he connected to him. Now, um, if convicted, Shihab could face up to 30 years in prison and $500,000 in fines. So, so the southern border, now we know that there are untold, literally untold numbers of people coming across the, on the southern border. Uh, some of whom are terrorists, are jihadists, are coming across the border to wage jihad. I mean, this is known because they've caught some of them. And, of course, if you think about how many they've caught compared to um, how many, you know, how many got away. In fact, one of them um, got away and uh, one of them was caught and then released into the U.S. I I mean, it's just chaos at the southern border. Uh, thanks to President Biden's um, wanting to bring across. Now, I try not to have politics in here, but I mean, like everybody knows this, that he is letting people, in, inviting, putting out a welcome mat, even though, I mean, I'm sure someone has told him that along with people who really have um, claims, you know, who, not claims, but who have a valid reason, you know, who would be prosecuted in their country and so on, Things that if they applied the way you're supposed to, um, applied to be a, a citizen, that they might be accepted. But he knows, he would have been told, surely, that there are terrorists coming across. But but that is not stopping him from, from doing that. And obviously there are political reasons, let's just leave it at that, why, why he is opening the door wider and wider as much as he can over these, over since he got into office. <laughs> so um, when we come back, I'm going to talk about why it is that this plot um, to murder George Bush is significant in terms of uh, an increased threat that we are under, how that, how that represents an increased threat, what we need to take away from this. Yes, that plot was foiled, but what does it mean? Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. 
where we're talking today about terrorists welcome. No need to hijack planes. That's right. They don't have to work as hard as they did um, on 9-11. They are invited in. And I'm talking to you about two of the ways that the welcome mat has been put up. One of them is um, the the fact that it is so easy now to smuggle people in through the Mexican border uh, or just to walk in or swim in <laughs> that um, that terrorists are not only are they coming in themselves, but they're taking advantage of this to smuggle in other people, jihadists who will help them with their plans for attack. In this case, it's we're talking about the plot to assassinate George Bush, which was foiled, fortunately, by the FBI. So um, the, the, the significance of that plot, I mean, yes, it was foiled, but the significance is that it represents another threat to America. And um, so let me talk a little more about Shibab. Um, um, Shihab. So funny. There are different there are different reports of what his name is. <laughs> Shibab, Shihab. Um, I've been calling him um I've been calling him Shihab, so let's just stick with that. <laughs> um, okay. So um now he came into the United States by questionable means in September twenty twenty. And it's as I said, he filed for asylum in March 2021. Clearly, he's not going to get it, I hope, uh, because now he's in jail. <laughs> um, and he has been running this human smuggling operation with an associate in Columbus, Ohio. So now this associate owns a Columbus car dealership, and he is the way that they um, hide the money. Um, he helps to transfer money from an ISIS official into the U.S. They have this, you know, these things are so well planned and concocted. Um, so, so this, these, the payments for the smuggling go into this car dealership, and you know, of course, Shihab or Shibab gets his cut. Um, now. He was telling the he he was having these conversations with the FBI confidential sources. Uh, his plan was to smuggle Iraqi citizens from Iraq to Brazil, and then across the Mexico-U.S. border for money, of course. And um, he and he, he has very interesting. I don't know. There might be he might be manic depressive <laughs> because he's made some boasts that seem a bit grandiose. Um, but obviously he had his head together enough to, to organize this plot. Um, anyhow, he, he claimed that he fought alongside ISIS's, um, that he fought alongside Al-Qaeda. Not only is he connected to ISIS, he claims, but also Al-Qaeda against the U.S. forces. And he boasted about being a cousin of the former, or well, the now deceased, ISIS leader. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. And he also declares that he's part of a global network of covert terrorist operatives that are called al-Rayed, 
which means thunder in Arabic, the Al-Rad network. Now, that that actually exists. Um, but we don't know if he was part of it, but maybe. Um, so now the FBI says that Al-Rayed and ISIS have partnered in order to plot the murder of, of President Bush. And Shibab is the point man. Um, so he traveled to Dallas, as I was saying. He did multiple drive-bys filming uh, the targets. And then he went back to the hotel, his hotel. They talked about the, uh, the uh, firearms and so on. And through all this, he didn't know that the FBI was tracking him through these um, confidential informants. Now, here's the, this is why this is more important than the fo- foiled, uh, much bigger than the foiled uh, attempt on Bush. It, there are four reasons why this plot is unique. Now, this was, uh, this is according to 24 jihadist attacks, comparing this plot to 24 jihadist attacks that have been recorded in the U.S. since 2014 and, and, and dozens of others that were failed. So there are four new, four unique aspects to the Bush assassination plot, terrorist plot. Okay, first of all, the target. Um, it is not usual for U.S.-based jihadist plotters to identify a single high-profile figure as their target. They either target lower-level people or, most often, uh, public spaces where they could inflict the most damage, kill and injure the most people. Now, of course, and this is the new part, um, killing a well-known victim, you know, killing a former president would clearly give terrorists a propaganda win. And you know, well, you've, if you've been listening to my uh, podcast, you know that they particularly choose dates and places um, that have some significance so that it reads well in the headlines, so that they get more bang for their buck. They seem more uh, dangerous, and this is that this is more of a win. Um, most plots in the past, though, haven't had the time or the expertise to pull off such a thing. Second reason why this is unique, and um, we need to take note of it, is that um, who the linchpin was. In other words, who um, Mr. Mr. Um, she, she Bob or she, oh God, <laughs> Mr. She Bob, who Mr. She Bob was. In other words, um, typically the, um, the lone wolves are U.S. citizens or permanent residents who are supported by um by ISIS or other terrorist organizations. Um, but um so this is somebody this this is a different he was not, you know, he's he was in the US on a fraudulently obtained visa and he was planning on smuggling people in illegally. And um so it it wasn't a homegrown terrorist. Then the third reason why this is unique is that um, 
is that most of the jihadist attacks since 2014 were conducted by lone wolves. Um, and some of them, um, some of them received guidance from, you know, ISIS and other terrorist networks and mostly online. But this plot, the Bush plot, involved bringing several men into the country illegally, um, including men who had a significant intelligence and military background to conduct an attack. And then the fourth reason it's unique is the payment. Um, there was only one, so before this, there was only one publicly known ISIS-funded plot in the U.S., um, you know, directly funded. Um, and that was in 2018. This is from, we're talking about from 2014 to 2018. Um, and that plan what had to do with making, with masking payments from ISIS uh, financial facilitators to a Maryland resident through third-party shell companies. But that plot involved traditional financial places such as Western Union. But in Shibab's network, his plot explicitly avoided the natural kinds of things such as Western U Union. Um, instead, this, his plot relied on what's called Hawala transfers or Havala transfers, which is an, an informal payment system based on trust. So in other words, presumably ISIS people trusted the car, the owner of the car deal, dealership in Ohio who trusted um, Shihab and um and they handed each other the money without going through Western Union because uh you know so that they didn't I mean they it's so ironic though because here they were worried about being found out by using an American institution like Western Union when all the all the while the FBI was tracking him um through informants and through things that he had put on on the internet so, um, and if this is all particularly uh, significant, you know, both of these things that I'm going to be talking about are particularly significant because um, the counterterrorism institutions in the U.S. have been told to focus more on domestic terrorists, you know, who the Biden administration are naming as domestic terrorists and um, less on radical Islamist terrorists. So um, that, that means that radical Islamist terrorists have an easier time of it to get through. Well, stay tuned. In the next uh, segment, I'm going to be telling you about the Afghans and why we need to be worried <laughs> about their now being, they're now having been uh, distributed throughout the United States. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about terrorists welcome, no need to hijack planes. We were just talking about the plot to assassinate um, President Bush, and now we're going to be talking about um, the refugee crisis, the Afghan refugee crisis, uh, a disaster waiting to happen. 
So um, first I'm going to tell you about the, well, there are three different parts to this. Um, first I'm going to tell you about the uh, the situation in California. Um, the Afghan refugees who were dumped in California can't find housing and jobs. There is a housing crisis already in California. There is a, an increasing, by the minute, uh, amount of homeless people in California. And yet, um, Afghans were uh, deposited in California as one of the places. Um, California cities of Sacramento, Oakland, San Jose, and Turlock, because these are the places where the International Rescue Committee, which is the main organization helping the refugees, has offices. So, but the question is, how are American taxpayers, who are already having to pay $10 at the pump, um, and having, really, we're in an economic crisis, how are they, how are we, <laughs> supposed to um, now also pay for these thousands of Afghans who are here with no, um, many of them have no skills, not all of them, some of them have skills, but some of them have problems with the language, um, you know, it's, it's a variety. But the, the worst part are those who are, who did not help the troops in Afghanistan, but who are here um, to create jihad, or perhaps aren't even here with the original plan to create jihad, but then when they counter difficulties, like when they're not just given a ton of money to live in the West, in the style to which they would like to become accustomed, get angry at America, and then decide to commit jihad. Um, so the... Um, there have been more than 2,900 refugees who have been... Um, bust, uh, flown to California so far. Um, and, and the imams are saying, don't just bring the refugees and dump them and say you should survive on your own. No, we should um, take on the burden of, I mean, you know, yes, it would be nice if America was as prosperous as it was before Biden got into the White House, and it would be lovely to share the wealth with, you know, immigrants, um, if they aren't, <laughs> if they weren't planning on, on creating jihad, but that is not the current situation. Now, here's an interesting story, second story. This is a story about St. Louis. Um, there's a headline, St. Louis hopes to increase its population by bringing in Afghan refugees. They want Afghan refugees because they don't really know what they're asking for. Um, the, uh, the, the Associated Press reported that, quote, the city of St. Louis, Missouri, hopes to grow its population by luring Afghan refugees to settle in the city so that it can offset the 70 years of population loss. Now that's what they're trying to do, and maybe it's not a bad idea, uh, if they have a way of providing for them, um, they are saying that an aggressive effort within the city is being made to attract large swaths of the more than 76,000 Afghans who fled their country after it's, after, after we, 
we surrendered to the Taliban. Currently, St. Louis has 600 Afghan refugees, and another 750 are expected to arrive later this year. Um, now, the, they are, they're putting their money where their mouth is. The St. Louis Afghan Resettlement Initiative is backed by more than $1 million in donations and has more than 800 volunteers. The initiative has support from the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of St. Louis, the International Institute of St. Louis, and other nonprofit groups. And all these um, plans have not encountered any opposition. Now, you know, maybe with a million dollars and 800 volunteers and a relatively small number of Afghans, 600 and then 750, um, perhaps that, that would work in that kind of a situation. But there are things to, to uh, deal with uh, that they don't think that they know about or are expecting or think that they can um, de, um, they can fix because of the money and the volunteers. I don't know, but I hope someone is um, educating them. Um, there was an Afghan, for, because there are people that we've already known that there are people who have been arrested, Afghan refugees who have been arrested for doing things that are not acceptable in the United States, but were acceptable in Afghanistan. So, for example, there is this Afghan refugee named Mohammed Tariq. I think I spoke about him several podcasts back. Uh, he was convicted. I think I spoke about him when he was arrested because he was convicted in late January 2022 of the sexual assault of a three-year-old girl at Quantico Marine Base in Virginia, where he had been brought by Americans. Now, when he was when he was arrested, um, and 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 at court, when he came to court, he explained that what he did was perfectly acceptable back in Afghanistan, which is true apparently, um, and. The, he, what he did was the, uh, he was witnessed fondling a girl who wasn't related to him, a three-year-old girl who wasn't related to him, above her clothes, but in her private parts. So since there were witnesses, he was convicted. But he was surprised that anyone would object to this. Um, he tried to explain through interpreters that his conduct was acceptable in his culture. And um, and the problem is that when you bring in all these thousands and you just plop them somewhere without sufficient uh, acculturation resources, then of course they're going to act like they were still where they were, do things that were acceptable where they came from. I mean, just like Americans do <laughs> when they go to Europe or wherever they travel. Of course, we don't... Um, fondle people in their private part. Most Americans don't fondle people in the little kids in their in their private parts. It don't oh I'm getting in trouble here. <laughs> Most Americans don't go to Europe, let's say, to fondle three year olds in their private parts and, and use the excuse, well that's acceptable in America because we know that it isn't. Um, okay. Now let me bring another as the third aspect to this issue which is, um, and this, you know, the, the headline is, 
Uh, this is taking place in Germany. Listen to this headline. Look at all the different countries that are involved and, and nationalities and cultures. So the headline is Germany. Afghan Muslim migrant sexually abuses two Ukrainian refugee girls ages six and seven. Uh, so what happened was that a, this is in Germany, as I said, um, um, he, he, a 24-year-old employee of a security company at the arrival center in Germany um, is allegedly, you know, is said to have sexually abused children in this arrival center. And um, he harassed and, uh, and touched two girls, six and seven. You know, he took advantage. Now, these are girls from the Ukraine. I mean, look at the mixture. You know, um, now, you know, did this Afghan say that um, that this is what he does in his country or this is what his culture says is OK? Um, so, you know, it's happening all over the place. In other words, it's not just Afghans who are transported into America. It's Afghans in other countries, too, who are perpetuating their customs that include sexually abusing um, children. Now, I am not certainly saying that all Afghans sexually abuse children, but apparently the culture is more accepting of that. And let me just tell you some other examples. Um, it isn't just Afghan refugees, really. This is happening all over uh, the world where, where radical Islamists are quoting Quran while raping people. So like in France, a Muslim quoted Quran while raping his victim. Um, a survivor of a Muslim rape gang in the UK has said that her rapist would quote, quote the Quran to her and believe their actions justified by Islam. Uh, Muslim immigrants in France raped a girl and videotaped the rape while praising Allah and invoking the Quran. In India, a Muslim gave a Quran and a prayer rug to the woman he was holding captive and repeatedly raping. Um, a victim of, the victim of this um, rape uh, said, he quote, he told me that according to Islam, he is allowed to rape an unbeliever. He said that by raping me, he is drawing closer to God. He said that raping me is his prayer, prayer to God. Um, in India, a Muslim kidnapped and raped a 14-year-old Hindu girl and forced her to read the Quran and Islamic prayers. In Pakistan, another Christian woman recounted that her rapist was also religious. Quote, he threw me on the bed and started to rape me. He demanded I marry him and convert to Islam. I refused. I am not willing to deny Jesus. And he said that if I would not agree, he would kill me. So, and on and on, this is documented. And um, Robert Spencer, who is the um, foremost uh, expert in terms of the Quran, um, he said the Quran teacher, he's, you know, he, he has written a million books, not a million, he's written many books about radical Islam and about the Quran. And um, so he can cite passages where these things are are said in the Quran. And he wrote, the Quran teaches that infidel women 
can be lawfully taken for sexual use. Um, and it's, it's in the Quran, it's said that it's allowed for men to take, quote, captives of the right hand. So the, the implication is that if a woman doesn't cover herself adequately with her outer garments, she may be abused and that such abuse would be justified. Well, you know, um, this is happening over, I mean, I, I have been doing research on this and, and there are many, I gave you some examples of the places where this is happening, but there are many, many more. And um, and so that's something to think about in regard to the thousands of Afghan refugees who we have brought to America without um, significant protection, you know, um, or or teaching or uh, countermeasures to see such that they would not continue to do what was acceptable in their culture. Something something to think about. The uh, terrorist threat has not gone away. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.